0: If you're trying to figure out how to navigate the tricky tightrope of parenting while you have questions, doubts, and wonderings about your spiritual journey, our podcast is for you.
1: It doesn't matter if your kids are smalls, middles, or bigs. We'll explore what and how we're deconstructing from churchianity, harmful belief systems, and diving deep into the ways we can work this out in parenthood.
0: We're also gonna work through ideas for reconstructing a space for our families to thrive under new systems of love and freedom.
1: We can't wait to bring you some hope that you're not alone and that it's really okay, even good, to explore all the possibilities that may have felt closed off in the past.
0: Our podcast is going to offer you grace and space to be exactly where you are and who you are.
1: We're really glad you're here, and we're excited for today's episode. Listen in.
0: You can always come home to God, and God can always be found wherever you are right at the center of your soul. When you stop and listen for the love, it is there. Danielle Schroer on the Evolving Faith podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Deconstructing Mamas. Today we're talking with Danielle Schroyer, and we're just really excited to have you here and your wisdom and your peace. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to talk with you all we're really excited to talk with you too. So if you can just give us a little bit of a glimpse into your life to start, we just kind of always ask our guests to tell us a little bit about what their regular normal day looks like, what your family looks like, and then what are you really passionate about outside of all of those day-to-day things? Right, yeah.
2: This is a big year for our family because our we have two kids. My husband and I have been married for 23 years, and We have a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old, and our 17-year-old just graduated from high school. So we are on the cusp of empty nest. We have all kinds of big feelings about it. Yeah, so we are just in that space of figuring out how to support them as young adults and what it looks like for us as marrieds, because we had kids really young, so we kind of didn't have that like time together before the kids thing happened for for very long so we get we get this next chapter and we're excited and sad about it as you can imagine so that's where we are in parenting so I love that both my kids are home this summer my daughter's doing an internship my son's chilling before we take him to college in August I spend my days as spiritual director and sometimes I do dream work also which is fun and weird if that's your kind of thing and then I also am serving as a scholar in residence at Preston Hall and Presbyterian Church, thinking about what spiritual formation looks like both inside the church and as we offer that to people who maybe don't come to church. So that's a big sort of thought project that I'm involved in. I love Taekwondo. I'm a black belt. That's kind of my favorite hobby. I also do yoga and I work out a lot. I love to exercise every day. We walk our dogs every day, sometimes twice. I love to read. I love tea. Mm-hmm. I like to read very nerdy books.
0: What's your favorite latest nerdy book?
2: Well, the one I'm currently reading is actually for my dream work program. And it's called the pregnant virgin by Marion Woodman. Who's a psychoanalyst. Okay. <laughs> I've lost your guests already. They're like, I'm out. She's a total weirdo, but it, it's a book about the process of change in women and mm-hmm. how spiritual transformation happens in women. And she uses this very compelling phrase of the pregnant virgin to talk about. All the ways that we embody and hold both open space as virgin is open space, and pregnant is possibilities of new things.
0: Oh,
1: interesting!
0: I'm listening. Okay, <laughs> okay. You may have actually gained us more listeners. Yeah. Now.
1: Okay, <laughs> good. they so, like, yes, and yes, go on. Yeah. I I was tell me like, more. To sit through and
2: read this on July 4th, and then I started, and I was like, why <laughs> did I think that? Marion Woodman is like drinking from a fire hose. So I read like five pages a day and just sit with. That's it. Anyway, so funny. Yeah. Nice. So
1: yeah, so that's a little bit about me. I love that. That's really awesome. I, once upon a time in another life, I was a junior black belt in karate as a teenager. Yes. So that's kind of fun. And I've thought about getting back into it. You random should. Times in my life, you should. But that's so cool. I love yeah. that you do that.
2: Yeah. I started at 41, which I mean, I don't recommend do it when your knees are better. Um, <laughs> Cause like every time they're like, we're going to practice tricks tonight. I'm like, oh, cool. That's
0: hard on my knees. This morning, I'm doing like a 30 day workout challenge. And this morning I was on day three and I've done yoga for the last two years and I haven't done active workout. And I'll tell you after 75 jumping squats, I was like, dying. okay, I'm I'm a little older for this. Yes.
1: I'm still in like the pee my pants sort of like postpartum. So every time I'm doing like any kind of jumping jacks, I'm like, and I'm peeing. Right. Just a little bit. That's how we are as women.
0: I did do jumping jacks without peeing, but I have to pee, then do jumping jacks. That's just right, yeah.
2: that's right. the key, really. The key is always the empty bladder. 100%. Right. The pre-pee. Oh my God. I have
0: to pre-pee and then pre-pee oh, and then anyway. do Okay. Spiritual direction. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited for this conversation. So, all right, we know that you have a beautiful kaleidoscope of work that you've done, are doing, and even what you were describing there. And you're the author of several books and you speak and you're a spiritual director, like you said, and I think you're a former pastor and now a scholar in residence, which (laughs) you have me intrigued by what that means. But can you give us a little peek into your faith background and share something different maybe than you believed 10 years ago?
2: Yeah. So I grew up in a somewhat eclectic situation spiritually because my mom is Lebanese and she was raised, she's, our, our family is Druze, which probably nobody's ever heard of. It's a very tiny sect that is both kind of like Judaism, both ethnic and religious. Right. So you can be ethnically Druze and you may or may not be religiously Druze. Mm-hmm. So my family wasn't Christian growing up. My mom converted in her twenties. So I was raised Christian, but kind of with this Broader sense of who God is because of my grandparents and because of my Lebanese heritage. My dad grew up Southern Baptist and he is like a rock and roller, extroverted. Didn't fit there at all, so he kind of (laughs) we didn't really go. He was like, "Yeah, that's a thing. We're not going to do that, really." And then I went to Episcopal school and I went to chapel every day. And I always say that that's the thing that formed me the most because I just loved everything about it. I loved the smell. I loved. Going up mm-hmm. to kneel for communion. I love the songs. I love the liturgy. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's no surprise to anybody really that I'm now an Episcopalian, really, because even though I spent all this time in the emerging church, that liturgy feels like home to me. And mm-hmm. so I really love it. I didn't really deconstruct a ton because I was maybe more just working on constructing what faith looked like for me because it was kind of such a mishmash. So, huh, something that I believe now that I didn't before. I think maybe the thing that's changed the most is the expansiveness. Like I, I mean, my first book was about the boundary breaking God, like the sense of expansiveness. But I think even that was so many years ago that I wrote that the idea of how big God is and how much God holds. I mean, there is nothing that isn't that. That's probably the place where my theology has changed the most. Just the I mean, I barely wrapped my head around it, but I think that concept of God being all in all Mm -hmm. and that there is nothing outside of God feels like the thing that has stretched me the most theologically over the years, probably.
0: Yeah, I love that. I said to my husband yesterday, we were kind of bantering back and forth. This idea of God is in all things and all things are in God. Yet we are not God, but yet we are in him. We were talking about it on the couch and we're empty nesters finally, as of two weeks ago. So I said, oh, and he goes, I don't know. I don't know. And I said, do you still hold to the Trinity? He's like, yeah. And somehow the Trinity invites us into the dance and I'm with you like that, the bigness of God and the expansiveness and how we're in him and he's in us, but we're not him, but we kind of are him. (laughs) or yes. he, or her or whatever and they all those things it's just been really fun to unpack that and yeah I was telling him you were coming on our podcast and I was like maybe she'll help me to unpack this <laughs>
2: We can help each other because that is a, that's a question that will need all of us for sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think
1: it just kind of depends how deeply you want to get into that. Like My dad's been really, he's been really into quantum physics probably longer than I've realized, but like just in the last couple of years, he's like reading these books, we're on vacation. He's like. Liz, let me tell you what I just learned. And I'm like, my brain's exploding yes. because I'm very like creative and emotional. So for me, it's like, God is like the wind and she's everywhere and she's in me and she's la, 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 you know? And he's like, I need to know exactly what's happening in these like other dimensions and you know, like that kind of thing. So it's like, it's so interesting that, and I love that too, is you can take it like as far as you want to, as far as your own sort of brain needs to go, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yes, you can be in that kind of free floating hippie mystic place where you can like seek out sort of these these more factual pieces of the puzzle. And it's cool to have sort of that freedom. Right. Yeah. Well,
2: and it's funny you mentioned quantum physics, because I have been for years now, probably like 10 to 15 years. I've read a quantum physics book every year just because like it's a good practice to blow your mind and be like i don't know anything Yes, time isn't even real you know what i mean humbling so humbling what is even happening and the idea of like what is maybe this is why partly my expansiveness idea of god has grown because like can you imagine what we don't know we can't even just from quantum physics alone as one thing that we're learning about it just makes you think we are we are scratching the surface of the stuff that the universe has to tell us. Mm -hmm. There's so much interesting, curious wisdom here. Not that I understand what the book is trying to tell me, you know? Right. So every year I'm like, okay, maybe
1: I'll get like 1% more of what it's trying to say. But it is helpful to unpack some of those kind of harder, sort of more mystic questions like prayer and these sort of things that just feel kind of vague, especially I think as, you know, we're deconstructing and some, some of those questions become bigger like what is prayer actually and what does this sort of look like and sometimes having kind of those ideas of how energy works and how energy passes can be helpful to mm. understanding that like maybe there is actually this this sort of deeper meaning to some of the things that we have believed and, and we just have to kind of open the door and look at it, which is really cool. So yeah. I'm already very impressed what you're able to do. I can listen to like two minutes of an audiobook these days, but um, <laughs> well, one day, one day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wait a few years when your kids are in school and you'll have more yeah. headspace. One I day. Promise.
0: Yeah. It's so funny what you're saying too, about the bigness of God and this even quantum physics, because I think that's one of the things that been helpful and hard for me on my unpacking my faith is oh my gosh we were so certain we had everything in these small boxes and we we were like god is this 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 and this and now it's like i have no idea and leaning into that idea that i don't know and i can't really then tell you what you should know and you should know and you should know and we talk about too this and pete ends obviously wrote the book the sin of certainty and it's like yeah i love living in that space where i'm clueless and i don't read a quantum physics book because i'm like i'll be even more clueless <laughs> (laughs) And I won't even know. I should, though, when I think it probably is an expansive idea, you know, like I know my brain shuts down, but I think just even knowing that that's out there helps me to stay in the space that we're just scratching the surface. Yeah.
2: And we could look at that and be like, wait a minute, if I can't put it in a box, this is so scary. Or we could be like, well, what an adventure, you know, I guess like, I, I guess it's been this way all the time and the boxes were an illusion anyway. And so instead of being upset about it, we could just be like, what a cool world, you know, what a cool world we live in. Right. We could yeah. just approach that with some joy and some like childlike interest or whatever.
1: Do you have anything that you would say, like if someone was sitting in your office right now, you know, and they're talking about this idea of just not knowing anything anymore and for their entire life, right, It's it's been known to them or they thought it was known. And now it's not. What is something that you would say to them? Because this is something that really causes people, and I mean, myself, for sure, a lot of anxiety and fear yeah. mm-hmm. and concern, especially for people who maybe believed in hell and no longer believe in hell as a physical place and those types of things. So what, I mean, that's I a loaded question, but what kind of, no. what would you say to someone who was sitting right in front of you and literally just panicking about this new thought process?
2: Yeah, well, and that happens in spiritual direction a lot, right? Like people come in and are just trying to wade their way through. What does it mean when you sort of take the bottom of the Jenga puzzle out and things start to fall, Mm. um, which is what deconstruction is really, is that you start taking out pieces and go, oh no, this is connected to all these other pieces and here I am in this heap. But I think it's helpful to remember that our construction before was in fact an illusion. Like that is a really hard pill to swallow, but it wasn't real. I'm sorry, but we cannot control God. We are one singular mortal being. And the idea that we ever thought that we had this concept that we could put in a box and hold it and know it and control it and own it is comforting for a while. And it's it's required for a little bit in our spiritual practice until we grow. But at some point we have to shed that. And so the comfort I would say in that is, that God has always been the one that has been holding us in the truth of who God is. And that's what we can trust in. Mm -hmm. So we don't know who God is, but God is fully clear about who God is. And that makes us feel much better (laughs) about things. You know, I might have questions about God, but I just think God knows exactly who God is and is consistently faithful to that own sense of God's being. Mm -hmm. And so I often tell people in spiritual direction, like, You're worried that you're going to lose something that means something to you, something valuable. Like people are worried that if they deconstruct too much of this, they'll lose the Jesus that they do love. And I just want to remind people that they don't because you love him in that way. You won't lose him. So you can deconstruct knowing that the thing that you hold sacred is the thing that you will hold on to. Mm. The other stuff is going to go away. But this part, this part that is absolutely why you remain in this conversation with God is not going to go anywhere. That's because you're going to safeguard it because it means so much to you. And because God is going to safeguard it because it's true. I think that's a permissive thing to say It's not totally on us to hold it, you know? Oh my gosh.
1: Right, right. I love it. Would you say too that the peace is not in the knowing, but it's sort of in the unknowing and being able to be okay with that? That to me feels like faith more so than the years where I thought I knew all the things and had it all together and kind of clung. I'm knowledgeable and righteous and all of that. Yeah,
2: I would certainly say that we start to move toward God in the unknowing in a deeper way. And I would say at some point it actually stops being about knowing or unknowing at all. And it's about being
0: about presence. Mm -hmm. And that's when
2: the real good stuff happens, right. Mm -hmm. Where it's just like the knowing just isn't even a thing anymore. Yeah, You're just with the God who is I am that I am. And you are communing with that. And there's still questions there, but the questions are held in the sense of just Truth of being
1: right, right.
0: Right. Glennon Doyle says this about we all want to be held and free. And Mm -hmm. so if you're being held in the presence of God, then you experience a freedom there to not know necessarily what our brain wants to know, but you're kind of held in more of this mysterious place like you said, in the being part, I always think, what is it that they have? What is, what's that piece that Richard Rohr has? And he's like, I don't know anything, you know? And I think like that is what he's probably, and what you're trying to get after is like the sense of presence and being, and more in that deeper knowing that more ethereal place, that mystery that we have in our spirit and soul, back to the energy conversation, somebody comes in, you're like, well, they just suck the life out of the room. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. the energies that Are good and the energies that are healing and the energies that are toxic, and somehow in your spirit, you know. So, to be able to stay in that, you know, in the presence of someone who's safe and is holding Mm. you, yet at the same time, you feel fully free that's Mm. better than quantum physics,
2: (laughs) right? Yes, (laughs) this is why when people are like centering prayer is boring, I'm like, I mean, is it? We're talking about energy and like communing with God in a way that honestly changes how you are when you walk in a room. That's bonkers. The fact that Richard Rohr has been communing with God in prayer for so long that he can walk into a room and people elevate how they are as people, because Mm -hmm. they can feel that sense of Mm -hmm. him being with God on that. I mean, what?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, in a society where being is is not it's glorified or held to a high standard, right? It's like, are you doing enough? How busy are you? What school do your kids go to? Are there sort of tangible things that people can do to move into this space of being? Like if someone's like, I don't even know, like, what even is, what like, is I don't that? even know what that is, right? Like, what is even being? Like, I don't know. What are some real tangible ways that someone can kind of start to tap into that in their own self?
2: Yeah. And I do think that's what centering prayer is for, Mm -hmm. which is different than other forms. There's lots of forms of prayer and they're all great. And I always like to say too, we're constantly coming up with other ways to pray. And that's also great. You know, we don't just have to think people did 2000 years ago, but centering prayer because it's wordless It takes us out of that knowledge space or that, like, I've got to say it right or do it right or make sure I get the words and the formula just right or I got to remember all the people to pray for. Because it's silent and it's about communing with God, it is helping us get to that place within us. And actually, the quote that you, you mentioned at the beginning, but you can always come home to God. I think what, what centering prayer does is help us locate that within ourselves. Like, what does it feel like when I come home to that place within myself where God resides? Mm -hmm. And if we can tap into that, because we've practiced in centering prayer, then if we're in a meeting or if we're in a conversation with our kids that is turning into an argument, we can maybe tap into that place and operate from there instead Mm -hmm. of the swirl of anxiety and emotion and reaction that's happening on the surface of things.
0: so good I love that thanks we'll be right back to the rest of today's podcast episode but first we want to give a shout out to some of our amazing and faithful Patreon supporters Beth Magstad Susan Hammerly and Jennifer Keith for just $3 a month you can help us keep the lights on and at the same time be a part of our private Facebook community where you won't feel so alone in this evolving faith and parenting journey we hope to see you there now back to our episode. Well, my favorite book of yours that I've read so far (laughs) is Original Blessing. And I think uh, now I'm going to be like ticking down the list of your books. I heard you on a different podcast and my heart sprang to life when you, when you talked about this idea of Original Blessing. I think something you have said Is that more than any other idea, the doctrine of original sin has slowly eroded our understanding of our relationship with God. Can you unpack that a little bit for me and for Liz and for our listeners?
2: Yeah, well, it's actually right in line with what we were just talking about, because if we are designed in such a way that when we commune with God in this interior place, that that is also echoing God's bigger reality outside of us. And if we feel like we're cut off from that, then what we're doing is we're limiting our spiritual growth. How do we learn to trust ourselves? How do we know what it is that our soul is stirring in us to do in the world? How do we know what faithfulness looks like or even righteousness in our own selves and in the world looks like when we have decided that this place is not allowed for us because we are in some way not fully connected to God, that we're somehow separate. If you wanted to think of a way to make sure that you chop off at the knees, any sort of spiritual growth or maturity in a, in a collection of people, original sin is the perfect way to do it. (laughs) It's the perfect formula to say, correct. You have to be stuck in this spiral where you only think about how wrong you are and how much you need forgiveness. And you have to be super grateful that Jesus does that for you, because how dare you even ask that of God and God is both angry at you for doing that, but also wants you to love him so much for doing that. There's just a bunch of emotion involved in it. And then once that happens, you have to just go back around the circle again and just go bad again, right? And there's no growth. And of course, yes, this is the most extreme example. But also as somebody who pastored a bunch of post-fundamentalists for a long time, That is how the thinking goes, right? That's how your brain starts to process your life experience. So whether that's how it's exactly said from the front or in the hymn book or in the confession of prayer or not, that is a lot of times for me, at least in my experience as a pastor, how people have received it. So original blessing is a declaration that we do not have a sin nature. We have a human nature. And that certainly includes sinning. Of course it does. Nobody's saying that we're perfect, but we are not inclined to evil continually. That's the phrase that is used the most in all those doctrinal statements. We are inclined to evil continually. A human nature approach an original blessing approach would say we are inclined to both options for good and evil mm-hmm. and I frankly think that it's like 51 good 49 evil, right? Like I think that because of God being the creator of the universe that we have, we have a little edge on our side of goodness and that underneath that is the image of God, which is total goodness. Right. And so our job is to work between those two inclinations to choose. And that's the thing that creates wisdom. So the practice of choosing wrongly and learning from it and rightly and knowing how that feels and then discerning what that looks like next time. That's all the process that God has intended for us. It wasn't supposed to be like get it right or die. It was supposed to be figure it out and then come home to me again after this long and arduous journey through your human yeah. life.
0: Oh if anything gives you your soul room to breathe that right. like you said there it really speaks almost to that deeper part of us that needs to hear that we're okay and that we're essentially that we're beautiful humans made in this incredible image of God and like how could being created in the image of God be bad yeah right And also
2: how dare we think that we could somehow like do something to turn that off, you know, or to tarnish it, to give ourselves the power to be like, oh no, God wanted this, but you know, we ate one piece of fruit. And so God just did not get anything that God wanted as the sovereign Lord of the universe. Oh my (laughs) God. For good reason, you know, God was like, I think they're going to maybe not hit this out of the park every time we're going to just, there's safeguards in place.
0: Well, our podcast is and you're you're a mom so we kind of are designed to help caregivers and parents navigate and we call it the tricky tightrope of parenting perhaps from a different faith lens and i'm sure in your spiritual direction practice you have a lot of parents who are like what do i do about my kids right. and how do you guide people along or one little thing that you could give them as a maybe a glimmer of hope in how you parent from maybe a different faith lens if you've grown up especially like you just said with this idea of original sin. And even like, Oh my goodness, I suck as a mom. I've always sucked. I'm just going to always suck as a mom. I'm going to do all the wrong things. My inclination is toward evil always.
2: (laughs) Right. I'll never get all the way. Right. I mean, that mother guilt is just such a beast, isn't it? Just this idea that we can never get it all the way. Right. We're so hard on ourselves. And the idea that God is just looking at us, like i I just see it differently, you know, not that God isn't sometimes like, yeah, you probably could have done better in that moment, but just the amount of grace and, and kindness that we don't give ourselves that God gives us, I think is just important to remember. But yeah, I think honestly that original blessing is so incredibly helpful in parenting because, well, and you think about it and I, I say this a lot, but like all the stuff that we're learning in psychology and education, it all is an original blessing mindset. Like, fixed and growth mindset. All of that conversation about like, you don't tell your kid you're bad at math. You say, Hey, it's something you're learning today. It's hard for you now. I mean, even my kids, when they took the SAT and ACT, I love that the college planning office was like, listen, this is one snapshot of the way you thought about things in one day of your life. Time bound that so that it's not about their identity as people. If they don't get a certain score on the ACT, right? help them know that there's growth that's possible. And I think that that approach in parenting in general is super helpful because instead of thinking about punishment and reward, we want like, instead of those external demands, we want them to have internal, right? That, that idea in parenting of you want them to do what's right because they feel that way on the inside and they're going to do it, whether you're in the room or not, that's the goal, right? Okay. Well that requires them to trust themselves and, for them to be honest about when things don't go right and to have trust in you to say that without us blowing up, you know, as parents, which is hard. But when we see all of this as like a process toward wisdom and that it's all all usable, everything is a, a workable situation, right? So when a teenager comes home and you're like, well, these were bad decisions, you know, like nobody would have said that these were the smartest things to do in this situation. You can be like, okay, well, let's look at it. What do we know now that we didn't know before? And how can we learn from that? So instead of it being about, like, how dare you or, you know, whatever, it's more about, okay, this is all a process toward wisdom. Certainly there might be consequences to that, but this idea that we are actually here to teach our kids wisdom and that that is a slow and intentional process. I love that Hildegarda Bingen says that when we're born, we are given a tent of wisdom and that it's our task as we grow up to set it up so that we can eventually live in it. Right. So we're helping our kids build their tent. They have this beautiful tent of wisdom that was given to them, but five-year-olds don't have the moral capacity and 15-year-olds are testing the moral capacity. So like, it's not a smooth ride really any time along the way, you know, but it's all a process toward wisdom. So I think that's, a really helpful way to see that's helped me really to think about how to engage with my kids when things haven't gone well but it's also helpful for me as a parent when I haven't done the things that I feel like I needed to do to be like okay well what do I know now that I didn't know before and how can I learn from that you know or wow that felt so good when I led the conversation that way I'm totally going to do that next time because I love the way that 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 felt in our interaction.
1: I know for me, for sure, but also other parents that I've talked to. And, you know, I'm sort of in the younger kiddo arena right now. And a lot of my friends have younger kids. And as they're deconstructing, they're thinking through how do I bring sort of this spiritual aspect to parenting or how do I bring God into parenting? So I, I'd i love to hear your thoughts on how parenting your children to kind of know themselves right and sort of know how to relate to other people how that builds some of those foundations of their spiritual journey without you kind of like getting out the bible and saying all righty guys here we go let's read you know in jonah heaven forbid or noah and maybe just the crucifixion <laughs> it's just it's just landmines all around really so maybe the better question is sort of how do you let go of some of that stuff and trust that raising your kiddos in love and peace and autonomy and some of these other things are laying those foundations. Yeah. Does that make sense?
2: No, it totally makes sense. The thing that I love about the younger set is that they already have such a deep connection with God because they're born with it, right? Like this is the thing that we've tried to talk ourselves out of, but I mean, have you met a child? (laughs) You know, They're like, oh my gosh, that leaf is so great. And they are like, yes, this exuberance for life is this deep connection. Like they want to oh pick God. up every pebble for mm-hmm. 10 minutes. And you know, you're, yes. well, I don't know about you. I, as a 25 year old mom was like, oh my God, we have to, we've got to get moving on this walk. <laughs> you know, We're going to be out here until 8 p.m. at night. <laughs> but I wish I had known them, like, just wow. calm down. Like, just calm down and let them pick up every rock. They are enjoying the thing that I am now trying to figure out at 45 by reading quantum physics book, like the pebbles, the easier way to do it. They are so excited about the coolness of the universe, and they did not have to read quantum physics, they didn't understand in order to do that. So like, let them have the connection to wonder, support their encouragement and curiosity help them to name that connection with God that they already feel so innately. They feel like they and God, I mean, it's the same as parent, right? In the way of psychology, you know, they have their like transitional object, Mm. right? They have their little teddy bear. And then that's the thing they hold on to because they figured out very terrifyingly they are not their parents and that they're separate entity there. And so they have to have this transitional object, which theologically is like this really beautiful thing of like, you have to become independent. It kind of hurts a little bit, but you're still connected, but you have to see the connection is bigger than what you thought it was, right? This is what we do too. And that's actually what Genesis three is too. It just keeps going on and on and on. So as you encourage them through that sense of separateness, but connectedness, Mm -hmm. helping them to name that place where they already feel really connected to God in prayer, letting them do whatever it is that helps them feel like they connect with God and naming that. And then, yeah, sharing stories as, as it feels right, but not feeling like that's the way to go. Because I often tell people like, we put all our eggs in this basket of biblical knowledge, or a lot of people did, that if we just told her, if our kids can get Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in order, that we've somehow done a thing. And I just honestly don't think God cares if we get Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in order. Like, I think it's great to know the story well enough. Like, mm-hmm. it's an important story and we should know it because it matters to us. But quoting verses... And being not a compassionate person in the world, I just think God's going to be like, Yeah, I didn't really care about that. You know, right. good job that you can tell me three Psalms by heart, but like you were terrible to that guy at Target. So I don't know. Right. You know what I mean? Like put yeah. it where it needs to go. So I would say in the younger place, it's about wonder and then it's just about. Cultivating those seeds of like how to be in the world in a way that is honoring of the connection. Because again, the big thing in original blessing is that we are built in a world of connection, not disconnection. And actually, what disconnection is, is sin. Like, I still think it's a great definition that sin is disconnection. That's what it is. Anytime that we try to cut ourselves or cut other people off from the connection that they have with God, there's a harm that's done there. And so, helping our kids to stay connected in as many ways as we can. And through stories, like letting the stories be a point of connection instead of needing it to be about like that anxiety of I need to know a thing. Right. I kind of think that's the way to start.
0: It's so interesting what you said even earlier. And now with all of this about the, the long view of wisdom, if every single thing that you do with kids through all the years is where they get to a place like what we're still seeking for of wisdom and harmony and those bigger things. And it's going to be all those little pieces of connection and wonder and curiosity. And then you said that whole thing about the learning, the learning process. And my husband and I've been married for a really long time. We were going through a really rough season about five or six years ago. And I said to him, oh my gosh, are we ever going to get this right? And he looked at me and he said, Esther, we are still learning. And it was like a cascade of grace that fell over our marriage, where we are always going to be in process of getting to this place. We're never going to be fully there. And for kids, parents, whoever, all along the way there, where we're on this journey towards beauty, wisdom, understanding, peace, joy, love, all those things that we want harmony, but in the process you need so much grace. I tell this story a bunch where my grandson will say to me, Oh Mima, you just made a mistake. You're not bad, but you made a mistake and you're just learning from that mistake. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> because his mom, which is my daughter, is trying to do this like Liz, stemming from original blessing and not from original sin. It's not like you are bad and we need to fix you. It's like yes. hey You're just learning how to be a person in the world. You've never done this before.
2: Right. We're going to get some of that wrong because we have Mm -hmm. never done it before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just a constant process of like, okay, you know, you've got to show up and do what you have the capacity to do at the time and be Mm -hmm. gracious to all the ways that you didn't have capacity and all the things you didn't get right. I mean, we apologize profusely to our kids all the time. Like, oh God, like, sorry, we'll put some money in the therapy fund. Like (laughs) we are trying and we love you. And we just trust and pray that love covers over a multitude of sins, including the things that we get wrong and with good intention tried to do, but looking back, it maybe wasn't the perfect thing, but I will say, and I know that he would allow me to say this. I'm really protective of sharing with my kids. Oh my gosh. So my son, obviously all year was like trying to discern where to go to school And he finally made the decision. And when he did, and it was kind of a surprise, he had committed to another school and then changed his mind. And so we were all like, wait, what? And he was like, well, mom, you told me at the beginning of this. And like, I've been thinking about how I have to think about where to go that will most support the person I want to be. And I just really feel, I just feel it, mom, that this is the place. And I was like, all those conversations that you think they're not listening. Think about the big picture of like, where do you want to go or who do you want to be? You know, the big stuff Mm -hmm. to hear him echo that back to me. I mean, I could cry. It was so Mm -hmm. awesome to see that wisdom that he has forged in himself coming to fruition in this decision. Oh my gosh, they are listening and they do get it because they, they want to, to intuit their way in the world that way too. Uh,
0: Wow. That's really cool. So if you could preach one message to a stadium filled with 50,000 people that are venturing into a more nuanced, open-hearted faith path, what would you say? Mm. I would
2: probably preach about trusting your soul. Mm. I mean, as you can imagine, that's my, that's my heart passion. And my, I think that's one of the reasons I'm here is just to bang that drum until I can't (laughs) bang the drum anymore. For me, the beauty of Jesus is that he deeply trusted his own soul Mm -hmm. and he did that because he stayed really connected to his belovedness and that he did that so that we could see what it means for a human life to be deeply connected to soul. And it was beautiful. And what would the world look like if all of us did that?
1: I just think that is so needed because just the number one Maybe not the number one. There's a lot of hard things. But when you're kind of coming out of some of these like toxic faith systems, one of the hardest things, I mean, you, you've you been taught for forever not to trust yourself. I mean, that was my whole entire childhood. I mean, my t- whole entire life really yeah. in the yeah. faith is like, don't trust your, you don't know, you don't know anything. And so learning to kind of trust yourself, even just these basic things of like hunger cues, like little, I mean, really just like these sort of little things is so, so important, but also very very hard especially when you believe that you're kind of like wretched being that really cannot trust yourself so I know I've been asking you a lot for these like tangible tangible things and I know how as adults and for adults like how do we relearn to trust ourselves and trust our souls the way that we maybe did long ago before it was kind of squashed out of us
2: Well, I think that's part of the answer is in that is that often in spiritual direction, I try to say if someone's really having a hard time, just like knowing what their desires are, because again, for all the reasons you said, we were often taught by society and by the church that our desires were somehow wrong or that we needed to like put money towards them. You know, if you desire to be beautiful, you got to pay all this money for a beauty thing or like, it's just all been messed up. And so to go back to the place where we, do we remember when we were young and we felt that kind of innate connection to God, what was it that brought us joy? Or even today, what is it that really makes your soul shine? It's super weird that I love going to Taekwondo and kicking things and sparring and learning forms that have been around for a hundred years. But I love that every time I go in there, like my soul leaps. If we just follow our joy and recognize the things that make us come alive That's a really good place to start. If we can start there, I think that's where the trust grows. And then, you know, when it's more in the weeds where the stuff is like discernment of, gosh, I kind of want that, but I kind of feel like it also might not be good for me. We can go back to that place where we know know the desire was on the right track and we can start to discern, oh, it feels more like this. Or no, I think Mm -hmm. that's a no for me, right? But I think it all starts with that sense of our own joy. I would say that's the hack is like, start with really taking your own joy seriously. I think that's particularly true for moms who try to take their kids' joy somewhat seriously. And then sometimes we kind of lose ourselves Mm -hmm. along the way, right? Yes. Find a thing that's yours, that isn't your kids and that isn't only related to your parenting and let that be an important part of your life, you know, make time for it.
1: Well, and Mm -hmm. so much of it is about loving that inner child, right? I always notice this parallel of people who are deconstructing are also doing these things in therapy where they're kind of like going back to that place and sort of forgiving themselves and learning to love themselves and all of that kind of thing, which is really cool. I mean, my therapist says to me all the time, like, just have fun, just have fun, just be you, just have fun, which is really, really cool. And a lot of times, you know, the things that maybe we loved or were important to us as young people are still really important to us. We were just told that they weren't or, you know, or told that like there was like more important things to deal with. Those things kind of don't matter as much or whatever. So that could probably be sort of a tangible way that people can really tap into that. It's like, what are some things like if you don't know what you loved anymore, what did you love when you were five, you know, and start there? Like, did you love playing in the mud? Great. Take your shoes off and go outside. How do we start that? Start from the very beginning and see where it takes you. I know that's a hard thing for a lot of our listeners and was, and was hard for me for a really long time. It's just been in the last few years that I've been able to sort of like tap into some of that stuff again.
0: And one of the things you said, Danielle, which really caught me was Jesus being connected to his belovedness. Mm -hmm. And that's what seems to be smacked out of children. So if we can go back to the place where we're connected in our belovedness, perhaps then that's when we can figure out what brings us joy. Yes. Like you can't have joy without belonging and belovedness. You just can't. I was telling Liz before this podcast episode, like I'm really struggling with my, where do I belong? Where do I fit? Uh, And it's like, oh, and yesterday I had to have this conversation with myself. like, you belong to yourself. You are till death do you part. You will always be here for yourself you are going to never not belong to God. He is always here for you. She is with you always. And I had to like walk myself back to that process and be like, then what really does make my heart come alive in that place? Mm -hmm. And so that I, that idea of almost that faith of becoming like a little child, Jesus was pretty smart, pretty wise before it was preached out of you, spanked out of you, whatever it was, whatever was taken away from you. What is the place where you feel joy when you're connected? You're blowing my mind in many ways about this connectedness (laughs) and the beloved, in our belovedness. It's just really important. And original blessing instead of original sin, original blessing comes out of connected belovedness. Like that is the truth of the matter. Yeah. That's where Jesus lived. That's how he lived and conducted himself.
2: Yes. And look how brave he was when things turned so bad, because I mean, the only reason he could set his face toward Jerusalem and walk towards something he knew was going to go so south and so (laughs) sideways is because he thought, well, I trust that no matter what happens, God has me. And by the way, he was right. And because of that, we have Easter. So I mean, the sense of bravery that we have because of him being so connected to, to his belovedness is like why I'm Christian, you know, but I also, as you were talking, I was thinking about how it's so important for women to hear this particularly because at some point we are taught that our worth is in serving other people. So it's outside of us. And I, I, obviously think that serving other people is a huge and important thing to do as faithful people right but how it starts is that we rest in our belovedness to God our relatedness to God is the ground of that and then we start to trust ourselves and we love ourselves so we say oh I belong to God and that matters and then we can say I belong to my quirky loves and joys and desires and that matters. And I will be faithful to that. I will be faithful to what gives me life and to what I love. And only when we've done those two things, can we then go and be faithful to the belovedness of others, right? And of course, it's always a ping pong. It's always, it's not that linear, right? It's not that clean, but if we're talking about building that foundation of stability and of sustainability in that way that we grow, it has to start on the inside with us. And so that, that task of like finding our own joy that matters, especially if we care about serving other people.
0: Yeah. Now you make me want to read everything you've ever written, everything (laughs) you ever said, listen to every podcast you've ever been on. So that's very sweet. That's very sweet to have your voice speak into Liz's and my souls today, but can you just tell people where they can find you? I'm sure you have a website. We'll put it all in our show notes, but where can they find you? And maybe where, I don't know if you do anything on zoom where they could hire you as a spiritual director.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I do see most people through zoom actually. So my website is danielshroyer.com and I am on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, Twitter is DG Schroyer. Instagram is danielle.schroyer, and then it's Danielle danielle.schroyer on Facebook. I will admit, I'm just not, especially these days, I'm sort of not fully present on social media. I don't post a whole ton, but I'm there, and I try to be present. And I do have classes, usually once or twice a year, where I'll do like Artist's Way or The Heroine's Journey or Spiritual Direction Groups or something, and people are always welcome to follow me so that they can find out about that. You can sign up for my newsletter.
1: Yeah, I always really respect, you know, people who are able to just kind of know the seasons where they're just kind of not there and the seasons where they are there and be okay with that ebb and flow. Cause it, it can be overwhelming for sure.
0: Thank you so much, Danielle. Yeah. We really, really appreciate your time with us. And we know that this is going to be a place where our listeners will have room for their soul to breathe. So
2: thank I you. hope so. Well, thank you for letting me come on and chat with y'all. It's been lovely.
1: Well, that's it for this episode on the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We love that you tuned in and hope that this gave you a little bit of grace and space for your soul to breathe.
0: Don't forget to catch up on any of our episodes that you missed. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Deconstructing Mamas.
1: That's where you'll find all the information that you need about the podcast, as well as on both of our websites, estherjoygets.com and elizabethpetters.com, as well as our brand new website, deconstructingmamas.com.
0: If you would like to support the podcast, please leave us a review where you listen and especially tell others about the show.
1: Thanks for listening and come back again for our next episode. We can't wait to be on the other side of your headphones.